0: Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one-stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories.
1: Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for another one of my discussions. Uh, You know I love entering into these kind of bigger picture topics in gaming. I'm hopeful that this one will be interesting to the audience as well as to aspiring designers uh, out there because we are going to uh, brush up against a very hot topic Uh, Boy, does this uh, stir up some feelings uh, in the peoples. Uh, We're talking about generative AI, especially on the art side of things. Uh, In board gaming, Uh, So I'll get into the whole story of why we're talking about that in a little bit. But before we do that, I want to introduce my esteemed panel. Uh, I have two gentlemen who answered the call. I'm so thankful uh, for for that. So first, I'm going to introduce uh, a man who uh, is on the art side of things. Uh, Currently, they work for WizKids, but they have a whole bunch of uh, credits to themselves, and I'm going to let them introduce. Uh, Daniel Solis, tell us. Uh, all the things that you've done in board gaming, or at least the uh, highlights.
0: <laughs> oh. Because it's not all, because
1: it's a lot. <laughs> highlights.
0: Uh, I'll, I'll keep it to current events. Um, uh, my name is Daniel Solis. Uh, I am currently the art director at WizKids Games, um, and I've been a graphic design freelancer for about uh, going on 20 years now in, in various capacities for different companies in the board game industry.
1: So uh, also a designer, designed Kodoma, Kodoma. Oh Kadama, yes. Kadama, okay. There you go. <laughs> Not one that I played, but I saw, oh, that design credit as well. I got your reference from uh, Jeff Engelstein. Uh, he was the first person he reached out to because he does all the game tech stuff, uh, and for sure. various reasons, you know, he didn't uh, feel comfortable joining us. But he gave me the reference to you, and I'm very glad. I was looking up your your bio and everything. Perfect. So thank you so much for joining. Sure thing. And we have Chris Seslik from Asmadi Games. Uh, he is so I have someone from the art side of things, and also from the computer. Uh, side of things. So that will be uh, Chris's role. So please, Chris, uh, the uh, founder of Asmati Games, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and what you bring to the table.
2: Yeah, I bring all the games to the table. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I run Asmati Games and I uh, both develop and design things. Uh, the things that folks are probably most familiar with are the Innovation Series, which I developed with Carl Chedick, Uh and more recently, the One Deck Dungeon. Uh, One Deck Galaxy series, which I've made myself. Um, Back before it was time to make board games, my degree was in computer science, and I actually did research into machine learning circa 2003, back Mm -hmm. before all this was super fancy, but um, some of the earlier stuff.
1: They they were fancy. (laughs) I mean, they were beating the Go Masters and Chess Masters for about a decade now, right? Yeah, yeah. True, Mm -hmm. true. So you know, and this want to be part of the discussion, right? I mean, it's, so this conversation has burst on the scene, but you know, if we're talking about this thing called AI, which we mm-hmm. will get into what exactly that is. We're not talking about a brand new thing. We're talking about something that's kind of been bubbling up and it's been worked on, and now we just entered this new phase. And we'll explain uh, all that. Uh, but before we right. get into that, uh, some disclosures are necessary. Everyone's a friend to everyone uh, in uh, board yeah. gaming. So I mentioned about uh, Jeff Engelstein uh, could not join a podcast. Uh, the occasion for this show was uh indie boards and cards uh released the newest Kickstarter for terraforming Mars, uh very, very popular property. Uh, and they announced on the Kickstarter page pretty clearly that they were going to use generative AI for their art, or at least their art department was going to uh use a platform called, I think it was Mid Journey, mm-hmm. uh, for their art. So um uh, Jeff Engelstein's daughter, Sydney, works for Indie Boards and Cards, so he did not feel comfortable uh, sharing. But I did get a, a chance to have an extended discussion with him, and so kind of learning you know, about this stuff, because uh, I'm very, very interested. Uh, Daniel, you also have some things <laughs> you wanted to share mm-hmm. with the audience before we started?
0: Yeah, just a full disclosure. I have a, a couple of game titles that um, are, have been published by Indie Boards and Cards in the past, so that relationship should be disclosed. Um, I don't speak for... I, I can't speak for them... And I also do not speak for my my employer uh, currently. So anything I say here is entirely my own two cents uh, for for whatever it's worth.
1: All right, basically (laughs) a verbal Twitter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I have to make a small disclosure as well, which I just remembered. A very long time ago, uh, Travis licensed. Uh, a resistance themed version of win Loser Banana. So technically, <laughs> I have a business relationship with IBNC. And, C. and I've, I've known them for ages and they're they're mostly good people.
1: Yeah, this is this is about um, having a conversation. This isn't about like okay, a hit piece or anything. I think people get it at this point i have done how many episodes yeah. of discussions. And I, I just want to uh, give the peoples as much information as possible. And this will not be the only conversation. I'm very well aware uh, that people feel certain ways, they have certain perspectives, and a certain perspective may emerge from this very conversation. It's not like the end all and be all. So I'm perfectly willing to share, uh, talk with anybody uh, who has feelings of one or the other. Uh, okay, so let us just go back to the very beginning. Uh, uh, Chris had mentioned that you know working in this thing called AI uh, for many uh, for a long time now. So let's lay some groundwork uh, in a, in layman's terms. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, Chris could help us out there. Um, so this thing called AI, and leading into this thing called generative AI, uh, is it possible to come up with you know kind of a short pithy way of bringing the peoples into that basic uh, conceptual framework?
2: So, yes, and one of the biggest problems we're facing right now with the entire discussion ecosystem around AI is that AI is a very short word and is being used as an umbrella term for a ton of different things, Mm -hmm. some of which are as simple as a Xerox machine, some of which involve neural networks and thinking and, you know, lots of deduction. Um. And this is muddied by the fact that since many of these uh, AI platforms are closed source, we don't actually know what's going on under the hood. Um, AI is, you know, people think Terminator, people think Matrix, people think all the sci-fi stuff where it's like, ah, the computer's devising a calculated plan to do a thing. And in a lot of cases, it's really like, uh, it averaged out, you know, 20 photos to make a different photo. Is that AI? I don't know. People wanna say it is, but to me, true AI is something that learns and thinks and adapts to feedback. And I don't know that all of these technologies are there yet. Mm -hmm. They're at varying levels of approaching that. Um, And that's been evolving since, you know, I was doing research back in college. Back when I was in college, the research I did was training a computer to figure out whether a picture was a bar graph or a line graph. And 20 years ago, that was a really hard problem. Um, And now, you know, we've got computers who are making realistic photos and you say, draw me a dragon. And it puts something out that looks kind of like it could be in a DD and d handbook. Um, But I I think uh, one of the things that folks who are reading up on it need to do is realize that the term ai is overloaded right now especially because businesses are capitalizing on hey ai is going to fix all your problems as an advertising point right now like every nfl game there's ibm ads being like ai is going to drive your car it's going to do your laundry (laughs) i'm like okay (laughs) go do that
1: Okay. Um, um, so is there a meaningful distinction between like the AI that you're talking about, you know, the bar graph and the line graph thing, and right. this current generative AI thing? So I'm thinking, you know, this is, I mean, maybe even less than a year ago, uh, ChatGBT was the text-based uh, program that quote-unquote changed the game and right. was able to spit out things that sounded plausibly like a human could have wrote them. So is it, and then you know, we get the art version and the music version and all that kind of thing. Uh, so is there a meaningful, did something meaningful really happen, and does it require us to kind of think differently about you know all that?
2: At the same time, computation got a lot faster, uh, and these technologies got developed out more. so that, yeah, like the, the, the language that Chat GPT puts out right now is pretty amazing. It, it's believable on the surface until you look at it closely and you're like, wait a second, this is just regurgitating sections of Wikipedia articles or parts of books and things. Mm-hmm. Um or making stuff up. <laughs> or so yeah, making stuff up whole whole cloth. Um so it's it's hard. Like the <laughs> the place that it's at right now is on the cusp of becoming real intelligence, but I think it's still got some distance to go um the other thing is you know people are talking about uh, adobe's uh like content aware fill in photoshop which until like a year ago you would have just called a plugin it's mm. <laughs> it's like oh it, it knows how to you know guess what's going to be around it based on pattern matching it's not doing any intelligent thought on it it's pretty simple pattern matching stuff with mm. a huge library
1: so that gets yep. us right to daniel's part uh i mean yeah. this whole ai thing right i mean you are you know i mean you you work in the industry like, you are a graphic designer you've been you know this is a, a your thing so um this thing called ai how long have you been dealing with that in your career
0: uh well about 2 years ago uh, you know i had a lot of time on my hands like a lot of people did um and i uh, i saw some folks um releasing these uh, what are what are called like a Google collaboratory uh, uh, environments, where you could, um, if I barely understood it. So I, I'm speaking very broadly here. Um, but, but I just looked up as many tutorials as I could. And I saw like, okay, if you replace this section of code with this such and such thing, and you have a library of artwork that you have on your Google Drive, then this uh, model will be trained on that folder and then it can, uh, generate new images. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was playing around with that and I I knew right, I knew right away that it was going to be an issue that like, I have to make sure anything I train this, this model on has to be, uh, at least assured to me that, uh, is public domain or creative Mm -hmm. commons, uh, released. So I restricted all of the library that I had trained this model on, on, uh, public domain illustrations of birds from, uh, uh, ornithology books, from, uh, like before 1950. Uh, so these are all like natural history books and these are all, uh, scanned and released on various museums, uh, like Flickr accounts and stuff. So I had this thing and it was fun. I, I made these like fun, weird, just ho- horrible looking birds and gave them funny names. And I made a couple little jigsaw puzzles out of them. And it was a, it was a toy at the time. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was, Amazing how quickly thereafter, um, maybe within a couple of months, um, uh, Dali and mid journey and all these other things came out and like completely surpassed anything I was like messing around with, but I, the discussion that came out of those, uh, generators for lack of a better term, um, was something I, I was spotted early on when I was playing around with my little things. Every time I made a little bird, um. There would be at least be um, you know half of, half of the outputs would have these weird phantoms of people or portraits or spaces that I, I I definitely didn't have in my library. So clearly there was some uh behind the scenes training that the model came with before it was trained on my library. And I could uh if as best as I understood it, adjust some knobs and, des- and decide learn more from my library than from whatever you're coming with and 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 so forth. Like I said, I, I was a rank amateur. I was fiddling with buttons and I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I got it just good enough that I could make some funny looking uh, weird birds. But um, after I saw the reaction to uh, all of those generators and stuff, I, I took a step back and and tried to assess my own uh, position on the, the just the, the, the role of a generator in art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just couldn't come away with any assurances that anything that's currently on the market was legal enough to even approach regardless of its quality or how amazing it might be on an individual uh, basis with whatever individual images. I, If I can't be confident uh, a human artist wasn't copying somebody else, from, uh, copying somebody's copyrighted work, uh, then I certainly can't be confident enough that an AI isn't doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm approaching it fr- from that perspective uh, that if an artist came to me and they had like a dodgy reputation about copying somebody else's artwork. I would approach them with the same skepticism as I, as I do any generator uh, that, Mm -hmm. that I hear about.
1: So that gets us into the ethical dimension and we're definitely going to dive into that, you know, a little bit. I want to take a half step back and kind of um, make sure we get, you know, uh, take the steps here, Uh, learning, training. That's the, Mm -hmm. that's the thing that you talked about, Chris, in terms of learning and training. And I think we, I think there needs to be a lot more understanding, way more than our podcast can provide. We'll do the best that we can in terms of the essence of an AI is like it is learning, it is training. And then off of that learning and training, it is outputting. So uh, just do you have any general like kind of deeper thoughts about how AI does that? Like you mentioned like a neural network and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, at,
2: at the core, you're feeding it a bunch of information. Back when I started, we gave it like, 30 images uh, because in 2003 that's what you could do and if you're talking about like the chess computation stuff from the 90s and the early 2000s when chess computers took over they were getting fed hundreds of thousands if not millions of chess positions and you know not cheating but <laughs> being able to outclass a human player because they had a ton of information and at the core that's still what trains an AI now in terms of being able to generate art you give it hundreds of thousands, millions, maybe hundreds of millions of images. Um, I honestly don't know the scale that some of these things use. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's like, okay, I've seen a bunch of things. I don't actually know anything about them, except for maybe some metadata, like, oh, this one's tagged that it's a bird. This one tagged that it's, you know, a meadow. Um, Because the AI isn't actually intelligent. It doesn't have any capacity to reason beyond the pure data you give it um that level of reasoning and learning is something that is still a bit of a ways off um so yeah it it, the the training being purely the data sets you give it is kind of the crux of the morality argument right now, because everyone's like, right. "Oh, well, you're just feeding it this database of existing things by artists who didn't get permission." And we'll get to that in a bit, but
1: right,
2: uh, it's, and, yeah, and
1: I want to really hammer that down because I've heard a line of argument, because you're know, speaking to that whole like copyright stuff, that like it is possible to have an AI that is totally fed on, like you said before, Daniel, public domain and Creative Commons, and you know, we we can do that, right? And I think what we're trying to say just at this outset is that just by where they are, like we're talking about either ChatGPT or whatever else in the text then, or you know, stable diffusion and Dolly, like they've already been fed tons and tons of copyrighted mm-hmm. data. And so it's like if I sit there and I feed it my own stuff, then that's fine. But like you say before, in the background, in terms of this general knowledge, it's been probably been fed some copyrighted stuff or some non-permission stuff. I think they estimated something like, you know, between 14 and 20%, Uh, don't quote me on that, but like some significant (laughs) part of ChatGPT was trained on people's copyrighted stuff, Uh, so. When I
0: I was making those little birds, the big flag red flag to me was that I would see uh, Getty images, watermarks pop up on my bird (laughs) images. (laughs) I definitely didn't have those in my library. (laughs)
1: yeah so like you know you mentioned before adobe has an ai kind of in there and i think they i think adobe tries to kind of like okay this is your thing and you feed it your stuff but in order to be able to do what it does in the first place it needed to train something and we don't have any assurances right now in fact we have assurances the opposite way that you know, this stuff was trained on quote unquote, copyright stuff. Uh, I just wanted to kind of set that scene. Is there anything else you want to say about in terms of the learning process uh, before we get into the more ethical yeah. dimensions, Chris?
2: yeah, what what I would say, and you know, Adobe, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, whoever, if you believe what they are saying about literally anything, you're being sold a bridge. <laughs> uh, I, like, I'm sure they're all going to be like, yeah, we're we're training this on, you know, completely public domain data and stuff, and they've all been sued a billion times by every government on the world for lying about stuff very much like this data collection for, you know, personal data in Europe or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't really trust them. And I, I mean, I don't blame the engineers in these companies. They're just doing what they're told to do, mm-hmm. but I don't buy it. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: All right, so I think that's a pretty good pivot point uh, in terms of shifting the discussion from the uh, you know, understanding what's going on to now some of the ethical stuff. Uh, so I wanna ask this bridge question. I wanna get both of your perspectives. Uh, okay, so we're talking about learning. We're talking about kind of AI ingesting data and then using that data to you know, X, Y, Z, XYZ 2, 3, and then it produces stuff. So a, another kind of argument that I've heard is that that's what humans do too. Humans don't produce stuff just sui generis out of nowhere. We're always taking in stuff from our environment. And then we do a bunch of mishigash in our brains and then we produce something. So, uh, and I'll ask Chris first and I'll go to Daniel. Um, Is there a meaningful difference, say, uh, if I were to read some bunch of comic books and then I would have produced my own comic that was quote unquote inspired by, having been fed this quote unquote data about you know all this comic book stuff. Uh, and it's gonna come out a lot like <laughs> all the comic books that I read. Is there a meaningful difference between me doing that and a Stable Diffusion or a DALI or one of these uh, AI programs?
2: My quick answer to this is that the meaningful difference is that you are not a computer. And I know that sounds like sort of a cop-out answer, but it really is the crux of the answer. You're a human being and you're having other thoughts in the background while you're, you know, being heavily inspired. And let me say, obviously, all of us who grew up as artists or creators of any type, the first thing we did was copy something. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's making a board game in fourth grade that looks a whole lot like Monopoly or some other rolled move, or, you know, artists who traced comic books that they grew up watching. Um, the, The big difference, though, is that The computer isn't continuing to think as it copies. It just Mm -hmm. copies and copies and copies. And if I take a download of stable diffusion and run the same seed number and ask it to generate the same thing, it's going to give me the exact same image every time. It's never going to learn. I'm going to tell it, hey, that's got six fingers. And it's going to be like, okay, I'll try again. And it's going to draw the exact same image again. Um, Interesting. Okay. That learning is happening on their servers eventually when they release a new version. And it's not quite the same. Obviously, these are all big simplifications of what's going on, sure. but that's the crux of what I think the difference is.
1: It's a huge difference, and I think it's kind of the sixty-four thousand dollar question because, well, you know, we're going we're to talk about the quote-unquote stealing aspect. You know, like AI mm-hmm. is scraping and stealing and all that kind of thing. And the idea is like, okay, if what makes a human being inspired different than a computer scraping? And I think we're all kind of fumbling around the like we, uh, so many of us have the instinct that it's different. So I'm glad you said you you put the question the way you did. Like it is different when a human does it and a computer does it. Uh, But I don't know if we all have the answers as to what the difference is quite Mm -hmm. yet. But at least that's where, in terms of framing a discussion, I think that's where we want to be. So, Daniel, how do you, uh, what do you think about that uh, answer? What is the difference between a human copying, being inspired by versus an AI doing the same thing?
0: I mean, from my experience playing around with these tools, um, a, admittedly, uh, at a very surface level, um, versus my my history of uh, actually uh, working in art direction, um, the the main difference to me is just I, I can rely on a human to understand my direction better.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I can pinpoint certain areas and say, revise this based on a client or the licensor saying that they need this to be uh Case in point, for example, um, we, we have a, uh, say I have a, a, a game that's a, a licensed property, um, we send the art to approval to, to licensing. Um, the license, the holder of the IP then contacts, uh, if this is a live action property, uh, the represent, representation for the actor who in their contract has uh, has a clause that say they have to approve any of their likenesses that appear in, a, in any printed media, whether it's a board game, com- comic book or whatever. Uh, And that art and that, and that actor says, "Uh, I look a little too, too grumpy there, for example. (laughs) Uh, Can, uh, can can I look a little bit uh, happier? Um, And so goes back through the filter uh, and back to me after all those like links in the chain. Um, And then I have to go to the artist and and say um, the, uh, so we have some feedback, yada, yada, yada. Um, I might, with my experience, I can tell the, I can tell the artist more specifics, like, Okay, the, the client has identified um, that this face looks a little bit too grumpy. Raise the eyes, open the eyes, raise the eyebrows, um, lower the contrast so you see fewer wrinkles, adjust the lighting. I can get very specific, and the artist understands 100% exactly what I'm saying. Especially, um, if, I, I mean, almost as, uh, I mean, I, I can find other images, I can find uh, studio shots of, of the actor, for example, um, where, where they have a different angle or whatever, and, and use that as reference. Um, but um, all of that is so much easier to do than spending hours and hours and hours uh, waiting for a model to learn something. And I don't know what what they're learning um, and and all of that. And I may not even get uh, something as good as the first image that I started with. It may be worse than the first image. And so I have to, what do I do then? Um,
1: so if, uh, just know. to be clear, if I'm using a dollar yeah. stable diffusion, I can't just type in, like it, it produces something. Mm. So I cannot just type in, make it look younger. And then it produces something that's younger. Like I can't trust it to do that.
2: Um You can reseed it with the image and give it more direction, but. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's not, it, it's not consistent.
0: consistent. Like it's, it's, you're kind of talking to, you're talking to a machine and the machine just doesn't really quite understand the nuances. Um uh, Like. I work with international artists a lot and in, um, international studios. And so sometimes you have to worry about a language barrier. And so mm-hmm. you have to tailor your art direction and be careful about how you word things to make sure that uh, they'll translate correctly. Um, if, if, so you avoid um, overuse of metaphors or or vague language. You have to be very precise. Um, and even with that, uh, sometimes there's some, some misinterpretation, but that's recoverable. That, that can be fixed with just another email or, or just a small correction. But that language barrier never goes away in my experience with an AI. It's just they're gonna go ahead and do whatever they whatever it thinks it's right and it doesn't respond to my feedback. Um, so yeah, that's the primary difference. It's like I, I just it it's like a very talent, talented toddler. Like it it may make one good image, but it just doesn't understand what it is that I actually want.
1: Well, let me. Can I push you a little bit here? Um, mm. Because I'm so glad you used the metaphor of language. Can I say that? Okay, AI speaks in a different language, and if you, Daniel Solos, are resistant to learning that language, well, then is that a problem with the AI or is that a problem with Daniel Solos? So, I was like, mm. I mean, and so there's a lot of there's some artists going to be like, okay, oh, like it's almost like their home language is is AI and they're able to kind of like play in it and produce what they want with it and everything. So, what's the difference between that and working with an international artist as an example?
0: Well, in that case the um so so that kind of gets into the realm of prompt engineering, which is like a sort of a sub uh, like a cabin hobby within a cabin hobby of, of AI development um where people are getting more and more specialized in what are the magic words that are required <laughs> to get an image to look a certain way. So they'll identify uh, certain types of camera settings that you can put into a prompt so that the lighting and the colors will be a certain way. Uh, It used to be that um, you could just drop in the name of a director or a photographer or an artist and get stuff in their style. Uh, Thankfully that's being filtered out now Mm. by some of the more prominent generators, but, Mm. um, but regardless of whatever the prompt may be, uh, or how, how it may be worded um, it's, I, I'm not being paid to do that. I, I'm being paid to get the the art as quickly as possible on a budget, and uh, and you would think that uh, a machine that automatically magically makes tons and tons of artwork would be would be a fantastic product for me to to look at and be tempted by, but nothing I've seen so far has been at, at all interesting to me, mainly for the consistency issue. If not if not only for the uh, for the legality, um, and the language barrier of it all. Um, uh, it's right. just, there, there, there are too many obstacles in the way for me to even approach it as a, as a plausibility, um, over just hiring a, hiring a human and, and getting it done faster.
1: Uh, from your perspective as a game, running a game company, Chris, do you, is that your experience uh, with some of this stuff? Um, I mean, we
2: haven't, for obvious reasons, <laughs> based on how I'm talking about, we haven't actually tried any of this for real professional yeah. stuff at all. <laughs> I'm um, sure you're
1: looking at it. I mean, every company has to look at it. I guess.
2: uh, yeah, I mean, I have played around with it personally, um, some of the engines a little bit, just because it's interesting as a computer science thing. um. But in terms of, uh, yeah, there's this just a myriad of legal reasons I don't want to do it, in addition to the moral reasons I don't want to do it. The fact that your work might just be copyright invalid entirely is kind of scary. Uh, That's an <laughs> Yeah. I don't. I don't want to deal with that problem.
1: No, I say um, that. I say that again. that copyright invalid, like you know, you the AI well, produces something, and it's like too close to something that is copyrighted. No,
2: no, 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 no. If something is AI generated, it might just not be copyrightable. Period.
1: Oh.
2: Um, this is a question that the courts are going to incompetently decide at some point in the near future. <laughs> They have no effing clue what they're doing because it's the courts and it's technology, right? Um, but there will be some landmark ruling which will, you know, happen. And uh, the the precedent people set. Uh, there was a case a while back where a photographer put his phone down, uh, his camera down, and a monkey picked it up and took some pictures. And the courts ruled that you couldn't copyright those photos because they were taken by a monkey who mm-hmm. doesn't have any you know, legal claim to them. Mm-hmm. So they were instantly public domain. And does that extend to a computer? Is a computer a monkey? Um, or is it a tool being used by a human being to create art? Uh mm. and you add in all the questions about sourcing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I guarantee they're going to make the wrong choice. I don't know what that choice is going to be, but that's what the courts do. It's an okay. American tradition.
1: <laughs> Okay, so we are getting into now. We can kind of dive into a little deeper into the ethical stuff, Uh, and I think that there are a couple of different angles on this. And I'm gonna help ask for I guess Daniel's help in particular unpack it because this is this is your career at this point. Uh, You know, this is your they're looking at this. Um, So say a little bit more about the idea of you know they're stealing my art, right? Like, I mean, Hmm. what is what is the tangible harm? So I mean if i produce something and someone imitates it then okay mm-hmm. it, it, or whatever someone you know steals my catchphrase or steals you know steals whatever um and i, I guess uh, some people are out there having trouble discerning okay well it did that but what's the harm so maybe you can articulate uh you know why that seems to besides just like the conceptual that unquote stealing stuff what is the mm-hmm. concrete harm that an artist faced when faced with uh some of the ai stuff
0: uh in in the case of Say for example, um, if you're an artist and you have a distinctive style, um, and you have uh, and you have some generator that's been trained without your knowledge on your portfolio, mm-hmm. um, and you have some unethical end users that just generate a bunch of images that uh, that have somehow been trained or prompted by your style, uh, that's money out of your pocket. Um, theoretically, this is under the assumption that those unethical end users would have paid that artist to begin with. Which is a which is an assumption uh, whether it's a correct right. or, or incorrect assumption is, is is another matter but but the theory is that um that yes that is money outside I'm taken out of the artist's pocket because they they that is a job they didn't get mm-hmm. um and in my in my case um if I'm going to if I'm hiring for art uh, the budget option that we have at our disposal now is stock images uh, so those, uh, for those, the, uh, the legalities have been uh, secured by a third party, the, the stock image provider, um, say, for example, Getty or Shutterstock. Um, and uh, the users and, and content creators of those platforms have come to agreements with that third party to host their images. And then we can uh, legally license those images for, for whatever purposes that have been outlined in the contract. Um, and we can even manipulate those depending on depending on circumstances. Um, so in in that case, there there are legal channels by which we can get access to very very good imagery on a cheap budget that don't require stepping into this gray market weird area that has not yet been fully uh, outlined yet. So um, I kind of rambled there for a minute, but 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 yeah, essentially, yeah, I'm I'm just like I. I I feel no great compulsion to, to pursue generators of, of any quality to uh, for, for an actual commercial product.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I am. So getting, I don't want to go too far to the turf Mars example, but it's like, it just, it just, it's right in the face. Right. And not only did we have just the, the disclosure, there was an excellent article by Charlie Hall who interviewed Travis uh, and um, Travis, the person who's running any boards and cards. And he gave it some like real, uh, thorough uh, representation of his rationale of, like why AI. Um, really, it came, I mean, so much of it came down to money. You know, it's just, it is it is cheaper to have a person or a in-house, per, you know, entity. In this particular case, it was in, in the Fricks brothers' house, who's the designers of the game. Uh, and they used this, you know, they used the mid-journey uh, uh, thing to just put a bunch of prompts in there, feed it a bunch of images. It, it put out stuff. And that process, I think, um, in the article he mentioned about speed, it's much faster. You know, like mm-hmm. because that whole process, that like you describe. Like, okay, go to the artist, give me this, give me this, give me this. Like, you, you know, if in a case of terraforming Mars, the space game, you know, you're not there for the art really. Uh, so it's like, okay, give me some space, give me some, you know, rovers, give me this, give me that, and, they, and they're happy with that. And that's just like really fast, and time is money. Um, so. I think there is a fear that because of that kind of scenario where that a company does stand to save a lot of time and money that uh using AI uh that there's going to that know going to be the future and therefore what you were saying before like you know money out of an individual artist's pocket. So how realistic is that fear? Oh it's Even, completely yeah. realistic. Go um, ahead, Chris, go ahead.
2: If I look at it from the cold, hard number calculus, for example, the way I, I I would look at it, um, you know, it's going to cost a fraction if I don't care where my art comes from, of what the costs are now to hire an artist to, to spend time actually drawing things. And uh, I think think for sure you're going to see companies do this you're already dude marvel just put out an ai driven opening sequence for uh was it secret the show i can't even remember the name of because it was so bland um uh and somebody else did something similar there was a fallout poster for a game that was really bad ai the essen posters were embarrassingly bad ai Mm. uh and those not a single one of those decisions was was an art director being like, you know what we should do? Let's make some crappy art for, uh, for more money. No, they wanted to save a buck because some middle manager said your budget is $8 for this. And that's what you're stuck with. And we're going to see this calculus made all across the tech industry, the movie industry. Uh, thankfully we just won the strike over there and sure. a little bit of pushback happened, but it's still coming. Uh, they can finally automate away creativity. Mm. And that is the one thing that, te- that the business owners have never been able to do for centuries. And now they've got it at their disposal and they're, they're salivating at the, at the savings that they can pocket.
1: I'm so glad oh, yeah, that you that, mentioned that. that uh, yeah. Just to, to finish that thought. <laughs> I'm so glad that you mentioned in terms of the history of it, in terms of the labor, the labor saving, like we, we, I think you're going to, and I'm trying to kind of bring in the voice of kind of the techno optimist, right? Uh, And the idea that, like, okay, for since the industrial revolution, maybe even before, um, you know, technology has proceeded and there have been freakouts about like, oh, this is going to change, it's going to change, it's going to change. Uh, And, you know, it turns out that society kept on going. (laughs) You know, know, railroads put a bunch of people out of work, but then it created all these new jobs, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, and so uh, the idea being that, technology ultimately is creates more labor than it takes away. Uh, as long as you kind of like, you know, let the technology wheels turn, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think one of the things that you are pointing to is that this feels different because normally technology takes away work that is repetitive and dare and dirty and dangerous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, better robots that do mining better robots that do, you know, a the you know, fabrication and all that kind of thing, uh, the sewing machine and all these like machines take away the dreariness of the work. This may be, maybe, you know, we're on the cusp of like a new era of history where it, where technology replaces the creative stuff, that stuff that we thought that was the province of humans. And now it turns out that, you know, whatever is being produced is being received as this is creative stuff and it's being pitched as this is creative right. stuff. So that's, I guess, in terms of explaining some of the freak out, that's also kind of in the mix, along with the ethical things. So I, I apologize. You had a fuck, did. I had to. I, uh, I had to, <laughs> to build. No, up. no,
0: no. I mean, I mean, t- I mean, if we're going to talk about history, we can go into the art history of it all, and the um, and there have been periods in, uh, uh during the rise of the industrial revolution, and uh, and during the uh, the early twentieth 20th, twentieth uh, 20th century where. Uh, various art movements like futurism and Dadaism uh, have reacted to the automation and uh and the rise of the machine rise of the machines is, is a rather dramatic way of phrasing it but um, the mechanization of warfare and all the, all those things the reaction to that from the art world uh was manifold um, but one of the one of the reactions was well what if we were to just um go into a more uh, automatic state in our in the creation of our artwork where it doesn't have to make sense, and so you get the uh, the school of surrealism where they uh, tap into something very subliminal, and they and they don't really care what uh, what interpretation necessarily you're going to come into it with. But um, I think a better, probably example is probably uh, abstract expressionism. Um, uh, Jackson Pollock. You may have seen photos of, of him um, in a trance-like state, where he's just standing over a canvas and he's just splashing artwork mm-hmm. or splashing paint everywhere, layering it thick. Um, retroactively, you can kind of approach that and, and say, "Oh, he was—he's uh, using this as uh, a mechanism to channel something more primal." Um, but uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that he—he uh, he ha- he would be selling his artwork by the foot. Uh, he would just take a, take a big old canvas, chop it up into little pieces and sell it piece by piece because he was, ma- he was making a commercial product to some extent, uh, mm-hmm. for him, as I understand it, for him, the act of making the art was the artwork itself. And the mm-hmm. artifact that remained behind was just a relic thereof. It, mm-hmm. it was the, it was the, the stuff that was left over. And so he was happy, he would happily sell it because the, 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 the visuals of it for him didn't, didn't, didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, I, I tend to ramble when it comes to art, art history stuff, but um... you're, you're so
1: excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, well, I mean, you're, no. you're putting your actually you're putting your finger on something. It's like I mean, the like I think the idea that art is reduced to the final product. And if we kind of go along this line of like, you know, AI art, so to speak, we're already mm-hmm. kind of presupposing something that is not necessarily true. That like art is about the final product. And, and you know, if it's a final product then let's make it cheap, let's make it a bit blah, 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 And there's a whole world of ways to think about this that may be at risk of being lost if we kind of go too far down that road. I think that's kind of what I'm getting from you saying.
0: Yeah, I, I have to I have to really constrain where I'm where I can speak with any any degree of authority. Sure. Um, so, um, for for me, where I'm coming from is is strictly in the realm of commercial images. Uh, this, these are not things that necessarily would go up into a gallery. Um, I, I aim for high quality images for uh, for all of the any product that I work on. I, I work very hard on typography and graphic design, and I work hard to find the right artists and get the right images. For the, for the project uh, but that said that's a different endeavor than uh, than an artist who's making art purely for the joy of it and, and to express something deep within themselves that that's they, there can be overlap between those two uh so those two efforts but um ultimately there there is a client at the end of this that wants to see something uh that they want to see and they want to sell it and so, I can only really speak to to that uh, end of things. Um so uh like before I I get too far afield I, I should clarify that.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um and so I guess we can kind of um come around the bend and look at the future a little bit. Um so so that so that is the core of the freak out there's an ethical freak out about like you know copyrighted material and everything and ultimately you know there's a freak out about the artist ability to sustain themselves and will we just get like what like will we get more art but fewer artists you know in this paradigm so that's a kind of open question uh, that we're playing with uh and also just um you, I mean, okay so like the just the ability that art of the artists to sustain themselves I mean what do you what do you think just like off the top of your head in terms of what you're seeing uh do you foresee kind of a gloom and doom scenario like you know Chris had just articulated that like you know companies are gonna do this you know if they can get away with eight cent art <laughs> and and people won't I mean, give them cuff, they'll do it so um, do you foresee in terms of, you know, the tools and, you know, a scenario where you're going to have far fewer artists, all of whom are good at AI, who correct the sixth finger, they turn it into the five and, you know, that's what they do. And then, you know, do you foresee that future or, or do you think there's some left turns uh, uh, waiting, awaiting us? Uh, uh,
0: from my end, I think the key is just disclosure. Um mm-hmm. So you, you may have heard stories of, of, right. of an artist inadvertently submitting work that they did not disclose was partially generated by AI and then cleaned up uh, by their own hand, or that they started with a sketch and then fed it to a a, a model and had that model fill in the details. Uh, that's that's a very gray area in, in terms of... Uh, how they made the images. But what's not great is that they didn't disclose the source of the image or, or the tools that were that were used in the process of, of making that image. Um, and, and I, I think in, if we're going to be continuing uh, to live in a world where we have very advanced image generators, I hesitate to call them AI art or, or even AI, because as Chris said, mm-hmm. the, these things are, they may be artificial, but they may not be intelligent. Um, least, yeah, I've, I've
1: heard these called like glorified autocomplete. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, more I mean, than that,
2: but not, it's definitely not intelligence yet.
0: <laughs> right. So these are generated images is like the very plain way of phrasing it but that I hope is without affect. Mm-hmm. Um, so these generated images may be plentiful and some of them individually may be very good, but if I was to evaluate, um, a portfolio, uh, of an artist, um, and I'm comparing many, many different artist portfolios for a project. I would look at the the portfolio, quote unquote, of Midjourney as an artist, for example. Just uh, whoever did the prompts, I'm just going to treat Midjourney as as the artist, and I would see an artist that as uh, is very adept at making individual things that are extremely tightly rendered, but they uh, but they lack the consistency to be directable. And, that, uh, and this artist, they may be cheap, they may be able to produce so much prolific work, that would be fantastic. But if I can't tell them what exactly I want and get that first image done right the first time, they're not, they're not gonna be as interesting to work with or, mm. or as, as, right. as profitable. Uh, I would rather work with a human that I can talk to and get the right image the first time or the second time, instead of having them just generate a whole bunch of stuff and I have to pick and choose from a whole wall. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that's how I prefer to work. Um I, I hope, I'm not sure if I, if I can speak for any any other art directors out there, but that's just how I am.
1: So there's some speed bumps, you know, it's not just like this train to everyone in the unemployment line or whatever the the thing is. I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh bumps and to, to work out along the way. Uh what I about say, you? yeah. yeah oh, sorry,
0: sorry, just on that. note, you mentioned the op, uh, some a little bit of optimism. I do use some uh, I I guess these are generative tools. I do use um, things that uh, any kind of upscaling is is great. Right. Um, if if I'm if I'm getting an image from a licensor that is like uh, just a little bit under print resolution, and I can upscale that now to to something that is print resolution, that's fantastic. And I understand that some of those tools have some relation to to the same technology as generative images, um, and of course um, fill, filling in. The, uh, details around uh, if I'm given an image that doesn't have enough of a bleed around the edge, hmm. and I can actually just go ahead and generate that extra little three millimeters around the edge that won't ever actually be seen in the first place. Uh, ideally, then that's great too. And I, I guess you might call those restorative
2: AI uh, instead of
0: generative AI. AI. I'm not entirely sure. Extrapolation
2: right AI is what I would call them. It's taking something that that clearly, yeah. truly exists already. And you know, repairing or extending uh, an existing artistic work. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Those, those. I'm like, I have no trouble using. I, I use them uh, more and more frequently. And if we get more of those tools, I'm great. Like that, that'll be fine for me. Um, it's it's this creation whole cloth of new images. I have no interest in.
1: Right. Uh, so we know we we can glean this answer from the way you answered the court question, Chris. Uh, but your level of optimism, <laughs> um, in terms so- of the 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 late the the you know yeah. you know AI as a labor issue, it's like, are we going to just get a diminution of artists? Are we on that road? Uh, do you feel like there's a possibility that like new, uh, you know jobs will be created new ways of creating art no more open you know uh, more more artists quote unquote will have stuff open to them because they can use the tools and etc uh are you optimistic or pessimistic or somewhere in the middle
2: yeah it's, it's listen the, so the the difficult thing is that we have talked for almost an hour and we are about 0.2% through the discussion that could happen of this topic because it is tremendously complicated um people are not monsters for using ai uh they are not doing it with with some exceptions, with evil in their hearts being like, ah, "Ha I'm going to ruin the artist's jobs forever. Um, You know, a lot of folks are doing it because they don't have another option. I've seen several like beginning designers be like, I can't hire an artist. I have no money at all. Uh, I'm going to put this game together because I can make the game design. And I'm just going to, you know, whip up some weird prompt art and put it in there as a prototype. That's... I don't love it, but I also understand where they're coming from. Um, mm-hmm. I do think, as with any automation throughout the history of labor, it's going to push labor out. Um, it's not quite there yet, but you know, as, as people get better at it, they surely will. Um, I think that plenty of artists will continue still doing art, but this will take away jobs. This is going to reduce going rates for things and you know that that's just reality um, mm-hmm. but I understand why some people want to use this thing and in the same way that in a perfect world we would produce all of our games in the United States of America and yeah. they would be of great quality <laughs> and right. it's just not realistic I you know held that line for a long time I printed in the US for much longer than most folks did and I still do some of my printing here but most of the games have to be made in China or elsewhere in Asia. Um, It's just the reality of being able to pay people. If I don't do that, I can't do my payroll. Mm -hmm. I won't have enough dollars. Um, And there's a lot of other similar things that you have to make compromises when you're running a business. Um, Sometimes the moral thing doesn't win out. I try and do it as best as I can. I think most people do too, but, yeah, like it—it it is in many ways a freight train. AI art generated, generative art, uh, whatever you want to call it, isn't going away, and it's gonna keep getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, my solution is that we're just gonna label our products as made by people, and Explosure. if people Explosure. value that, then they can value that as part of our product in the same way that I put "made in USA" on some of our games because people value that as, you know, a slight pushback against not so great labor practices over there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that if we try and fight this fight, if it even is a fight, by saying that company's evil for doing this thing, we're going to lose horribly. That never works. You can go centuries back and look at every single automation battle that has ever been fought in any labor situation. You lose. People want their stuff for cheap. And frankly, the average consumer does not give the slightest expletive word oh, about
1: Terraform has made like three million yeah no, <laughs> you had, no you had a twitter freak out but it yeah. doesn't matter project well done yep okay uh yeah so i mean i think that's a, it's a mixed bag um i i do think though and so get okay, circling back to kind of the ethical stuff in terms of like okay is this thing you know chomping uh scraping whatever where do you want to use like people's mm-hmm. stuff without permission uh that's a real thing right? And just because it's technology doesn't mean that it could just do anything it wants. And I think there, um, I'm a little bit skeptical. That's my own personal bias. Uh, when it's like, oh, technology is great and everything. But then it's like, okay, what's it really doing? Oh, right. It's, uh, I think a friend, of, an artist friend of mine put it as, hey, uh, imagine something hacked into your email and mm-hmm. scraped your private portfolio from your email. And all of a sudden you see it in the wild and, it's, and you know, you know, it's not yours, but it says it's yours. How, you know, how would that be? And it's like, no, that's, not something i want and so i think a lot of artists are just feeling that so that's almost like a ground level thing like that the courts have to handle that that's that's immediate so there's that there's an immediate issue and then there's the larger question of like a, what what to do with this big thing but i think the immediate issue we got to work on this and i think from um, understanding from your comments daniel you're there like you are not going to touch this stuff until they work that stuff work that out is that correct
0: yeah yeah and even then i don't want to be the first adopter of it i i want yeah. I, I don't want to be the, the one that, that's a guinea pig of this
1: whole thing. Uh, yeah, no. Okay. Uh, so we're coming to the end of our time. Are there, is there anything that I missed in terms of a big picture? I get, yeah, yeah, I know. I hear you, Chris. <laughs> this could last many, many oh, yeah. hours. Uh, but so I'm, I'm a layman. <laughs> I'm just learning and stuff like that. I'm hopeful that, um, that some broad points were uh, discussed, some 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 conversational frames were set in terms of like how to talk about some of this stuff. Is there anything big that I missed that we should bring up? Uh, I'll go to you, Chris, and then I'll go to Daniel.
2: Um, so what I would say to sum up the entire situation is people should not treat this as as simple as an issue as saying NFTs were NFTs were simple fraud. This is not that this is a complex situation that is dealt best with talking to people. The rhetoric on the internet on this topic is so toxic Mm -hmm. and so useless that it just degenerates into shouting at each other. And this is a thing that, lots of conversations need to happen, uh, as opposed to typical internet shouty shout.
1: All right. Anything, uh, any uh, parting words on this one, Dan, anything we missed or, uh, you know, kind of possible conversation threads for the future.
0: Um, this is tangential a little bit, but if you are a human artist and (laughs) and you're listening to this, um, and not a machine, um, the, uh, my advice to you, if you're concerned about this, uh, is to email me your portfolio and let me look at it. Uh, and uh, and if you're looking for work, I can probably point you to, uh, if not me, another publisher who is looking to hire an artist with your style. Uh, chances chances are, if you're a beginner, you're gonna uh, you're gonna struggle a little bit, but in time, as you develop your skills and your experience, uh, there is work for you out here still. Uh, and certainly from me and, and many others. So um, I I wouldn't sweat it too much uh, my, myself. But that's just me.
1: But but that's what we do on the internet. We sweat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Send
0: me your portfolio. Send me your portfolio
1: okay so it, so this was a little bit of an optimistic conversation. I think we have two skeptics yeah. uh that we're talking about three really <laughs> including mm-hmm. the host uh but I think that there's lines for you know exploring some of this stuff more. I mean you know address the ethical questions and let's talk and I think many of us are in kind of a prove it stage It's not yes, thus no it's like just prove that this can be beneficial and that we can keep humans at the center and then 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 we can talk. You know, so I think that's a good place, a good enough a place to land. So um, Daniel Solis, Chris says like, thank you so much for taking the time uh, here in the One Stop Co-op shop for sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you could change your mind, you could change the world, people. So until next time, bye everybody.
0: Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com onestop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list.